to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. We're going to look at these two lines, these two verses. And as you do that, I, I wish I had some really spiritual explanation about why we're looking at these two, apart from uh, bills that they're, it's, it's in the Bible, so it's only worth our look at. This personally has been a couple verses that have, uh, um, actually I say this, informed, meant a lot to me over the last few years, and I, I thought it would be a great basis to, to speak from today. So, Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Two short little lines that describe to us what it means to build a house. Or how one goes about building and establishing and filling a house. A few years ago, I should say about 14 years ago, um, it was about this time of year, closer to Christmas time. My wife and I, Kelly and I, had just been married a few months. We were living in um, Lincoln, Nebraska of all places. A place that's in mourning today. Sure of that. I'm not in mourning, though, I assure you. But we, uh, but we were in Lincoln, Nebraska. It was close to Christmas time. And, uh, we, you know, we were, Kelly was in school. I was on staff with Campus Crusade doing some fundraising. We didn't have a lot of money. But we wanted to make our first Christmas together meaningful. We wanted to celebrate it well. And so we wanted to get a tree, and we wanted to, to put that tree up and, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, we found a tree that was fairly inexpensive, and we... We bought the tree. The only problem was we didn't have a tree stand. We didn't have a, a way to hold that tree and to prop it up. And, you know, I thought, you know, I'm fairly skilled. And um, you laugh. And uh, I, I wanted to show my wife, my new wife here, how resourceful I could be. And so I had some lumber. I had a hammer. I had some nails. And I had a little handsaw. And I thought to myself, how difficult can it be to build a Christmas tree stand. And so I put together a design. I thought, you know, this is sure to work. And I went out, and a couple hours later, I brought in my masterpiece. I brought in this Christmas tree stand. And, I, and you know, then became the process of, of placing it down and putting the tree in it. And um, you can probably guess what happened next. I was a finance major in college. I was not an engineering major, and for a reason. And I attempted to make that tree stand up in my tree stand, and it just wouldn't, no matter how much I tried. And after probably an hour of, uh, of, of trying to get at these ropes and stuff that was supposed to hold it up, and, and several... <laughs> anyway, um, I, uh, I, I, you know, I was, I was frustrated after several verbal outbursts. Uh, I had the voice of reason came from across the room. Honey, let's just go to the store and buy one, you know. And, you know, it took me just a little bit longer to come face to face with the fact that this was a failure. That, that my idea, this design of building a, this Christmas tree stand was a complete failure. And the end of thing ended up in the trash. You know, and, and I thought about that little incident. And I thought about um, my question as I started that little venture to build a Christmas tree stand, the, the question, you know, how hard can it be to build a Christmas tree stand? And I had no idea 
until I entered the process of building that stand, how difficult it would be to, make, to build one that actually worked, that would build one that would do what I wanted it to do. And as we look at the, this picture, this metaphor today of building our house, building our lives, I think a lot of times we enter and we live in life with the same idea. How hard can it be to make life work? How hard can it be to build our homes and our households in such a way that they will stand and be firm over the years? And it just doesn't take that long until we realize Whatever it takes, I really don't have. And the truth is, is that I am utterly in, in, incapable of bringing any kind of order or meaning or filling my life with anything valuable apart from the wisdom and understanding of no, and knowledge that come alone from God through Christ. And so as we look at this, we're going to ask this question, how is it that one builds their house in such a way that it will stand and that it will be filled with things that have value? And so just a little bit of context in, in this book. Proverbs is, of course, a collection of wise sayings, of, of words, many of them attributed um, by, to Solomon. He gathered from other writers as well, divinely inspired, placed in this book we call the Bible to give us information and give us what we need to know about living life. In a, in a practical kind of way. And so that's what this book is. If you look with me in the very first chapter... The very first few verses of the book of Proverbs set the trajectory for the rest of the book. And so if we want to understand this wisdom and understanding and knowledge, and as it goes into building our houses, building our lives, building our households, it's important that we know the beginning point and the starting point. I'm going to read the first seven verses of the book just by way of introduction and to give us an idea of the, the direction that this, the author is going. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in, in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And then verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see those first few words of that, of wisdom and instruction, and those who want those, this book offers. But more than just this book, God says, I, I offer you these things. And, and then we come down really to the key to understanding it, the key to understanding how do we obtain knowledge? How do we obtain this wisdom that comes alone from God? We see verse 7 sets that for us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That the starting place of any kind of knowledge that matters, any knowledge that ultimately will lead to a life that's meaningful and will stand, comes from the fear of the Lord. It comes from understanding who God is. It comes from reverencing Him and standing in all of Him. If we want to know anything at all, if we want to have any kind of certainty of knowledge, we don't, be, we don't begin with our own ideas with our own abilities to think with our own rationality with our own ability to observe and evaluate or analyze we have to begin at the feet of God we have to begin at his from his wisdom and his insight and not our own true knowledge doesn't begin with my faculties but it begins with at the feet of God and understanding who this God is holy sovereign the one in whom wisdom and knowledge and and, and understanding find their their beginning, their origin there. He embodies that because his, it emanates from his character. It's who he is. 
We will find nothing worth having unless it begins by submitting and listening to him and not by listening to anyone else. We must begin if we want knowledge and understanding and wisdom. We need to begin by understanding who he is. And this, this concept of the fear of the Lord, we have heard different ways. And again, it is such a huge and deep and rich concept. And even this week and last week as I was working on this, I realized I was way in over my head. I realized that getting my hands around this idea of what it means to fear God, even experientially I didn't have, but scripture is so broad in its use and understanding of this term. But I want to just cite a couple of things to help us as we think about this fear of the Lord. It means reverence. It means bowing to who he is. It's misunderstood oftentimes in our culture because we don't have this sense of transcendence in our culture, this sense of awe and worship. It's it kind of blows our categories to understand this God that would cause us, that if we were to stand before him, if we didn't die, would fall on our faces before him without any choice whatsoever because of his greatness. In the Old Testament, the phrase really means it's connected with one who has a relationship with God. The one who fears God is the one who really knows what he's like. Okay, he's the one that understands who he is and, and who, that, who I am in relation to him. And so the one who fears not, God knows God. You have a relationship with him as you fear him because he is to be feared. His very nature is to be honored and to be revered. And it literally means it's an implication of relationship. And so the fear of God leads us into relationship. A couple other phrases. That, this was read... Um, I read in the call to worship, was read as well in our worship time, but in the, first, in the second chapter of Proverbs, um, there's a, really an understanding that as we approach this fear of God, how do we attain it? And I'm going to read these verses again, uh, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice, for understanding if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure then you will understand the fear of the lord have the knowledge of god you see that it, there's a humility that we approach it with the way if we want to understand and know him we come we say we need you to teach us we need you father to help us to understand this what it means who you are because there's nothing else really in my this culture around me that can help me understand this apart from you and so we see there's a humility that's connected with that oftentimes we attribute the, this idea of the fear of the Lord with the power of his wrath, his power and the rightness of his wrath that he can to bring judgment in any way, shape, or form that he desires. And so that's certainly a true thing. But there's another aspect of this fear I think I find fascinating in the Old Testament. If you'll turn with me in um, Proverbs, I'm sorry, uh, Psalm chapter 130. I read this in my opening prayer. Um, three and four. Um, of Psalm 130 says turn there it says if you O Lord kept a record of sins O Lord who could stand but with you there is forgiveness therefore you are feared and it says an interesting thing where it says that, that certainly God has a right to keep a record of sins and if you did who could stand before you but with you, there's forgiveness. Within you, there's this forgiveness. Therefore, you're feared. Therefore, there's this reverence because of forgiveness. Not because of wrath, but there's fear. There's honor because of the forgiveness that he offers to us. 
So fear is used not just in the sense of judgment, but even in the context of his goodness to us. Turn with me to uh, Jeremiah chapter 33. Another place where this phrase, fear the Lord, is used in a way that, that we wouldn't put together. At least I wouldn't. Um, Jeremiah 33, 8 and 9. This is um, the Lord speaking in this passage. Jeremiah 33, 8 and 9. He says, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me. And I will forgive all the guilt of their, their sin and rebellion against me. And then verse 9. And this city shall be a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all nations of the earth, who shall hear of all the good that I do for them, that shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for them. Do you see that? They shall fear and tremble. Why? Not because I'm going to destroy them, but because of the good that I'm going to do. And I mean, again, we don't connect those oftentimes. And yet, how do we connect the fear of God and his goodness and his kindness and his justice and his wrath all together? How do we understand that? And the only thing I believe we can get our hands around is that we understand that the very character of God and his passion and his fierceness, we see that it his wrath is poured out on sin. At the very same time, the way that he goes about bringing about good is equally as passionate, is equally as fierce. That when God brings about good in our lives or good in this world, he is as committed to bringing that about as he is to punishing sin. It's not like he's just angry at sin, but in an equal kind of way, he is about bringing good things in our life. And the passion and the commitment that he has to do that in our lives is comparable. And we see that in the picture of Christ on the cross. We see that in that, this incredible demonstration of sin being judged and paid for. That the wrath being poured out on Christ, at the very same time, we see that the goodness of God was manifest. And that we experience who he is in all of his goodness. And basically, to understand and to fear him in this way is to be keenly aware of the way that he will work in our lives. He will discipline us. He will love us. He will punish us as his children. And nothing will stand in his way to bring that about. And so as a result, how are we to respond to him? In this fear and awe and go, oh my goodness, I don't understand a God that would do this. I might understand wrath. I might understand lots of other things, but not a God that is so committed to, to displaying his goodness and his kindness. That it would bring a sense of awe. And so that's how we stand before God. And this fear of God, that's where it leads us to this affectionate appreciation and reverencing and obeying of our Father. Who will judge, who will discipline his children at the same time. He said, nothing will stand in the way of what I want to do in your life. And so, the fear of God is the beginning, the starting point of wisdom of knowing anything. And the fear of God leads us into that relationship to understand who he is. I need to make another uh, statement. The, the trajectory of the entire book is set by that idea that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge. And that leads us to understand the passage we're going to get to in 24, 3, and 4. At the same time, this concept of wisdom is not just about, um, it's not just about cosmetic enhancement to our lives. Wisdom in this sense isn't just how to make our lives happier and better and we look better and live longer. It's not just about that. The wisdom that's talked about in Proverbs is the wisdom that brings life. And folly or foolishness in the book of Proverbs leads not just to an unhappy life or some mistakes, 
Folly in the book of Proverbs leads us down the road of death and destruction. And if you look in the very last uh, few verses, you can reference this in Proverbs chapter 9. The last few verses, um, you'll see a contrast there where the author, he says, wisdom leads to life. But then he pictures for us where folly leads. And it leads ultimately to, to the grave. It pictures for us a banquet in the grave. A place where it feeds us but it feeds us even while we're dead and, and, and experiencing destruction. So wisdom, as we talk about this, the understanding is that it, it leads to life, not just to a, kind of this cosmetic enhancement of our lives, making us look better. Now, it might make life better living wisely, but there's much more at stake. There's much more focus, if you will, um, as we look at that. So turn with me to Proverbs 24 now. Look at these two verses. Fear of the Lord sets this whole thing up. Submission to him, if we want to know anything, we submit and understand who he is. Wisdom is about life. It's not just about making our lives happier and more comfortable. Three and four, by wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. By knowledge its rooms are filled with precious and pleasant riches. So we see here a parable, a picture that the author gives us. He says here's a picture of a house. And the way that we go about building it he gives us three different kinds of um, agents, if you will. He talks about wisdom, talks about understanding, and talks about knowledge. And of course, if we want to build a house, if, we want, if we're going to have a house built, we're probably going to find somebody that, that's built a house before, right? You want to go find somebody who's done a good job and they've built that house, and you say, okay, I think they know what they're doing. They're not gonna, you're not going to find somebody like me to come and build your house because you want it to stand. And that's an important thing because you don't want your house to fall down on top of you, that would be bad. However, that's a stupid statement. Anyway, it would be bad, redundant. However, how much worse would it be for our lives to fall down around us? How much more important that we watch over our lives and we watch over our households and we watch over our own souls as we would our houses? And my own experience has led me to believe and to see in my own life that I'm more concerned oftentimes about the physical structure of my house and its well-being more so than my soul or those living in it. And that's the, ten the tension that we live in here. And wisdom will lead us to understand what is really valuable. Not just to watch over our houses, that's a good thing, but will lead us to watch over the building of our households. The three words there, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, if you read them throughout the, the use, its use in Proverbs, you'll find that they're very much interchangeable. There's some nuances we're going to kind of touch on, but they're oftentimes used in, in, in very similar kinds of ways. And so they overlap a great deal in terms of their meaning and what they're getting at. But uh, So it's important to understand the use of those throughout, the, throughout this, this section. So we see wisdom, understanding, and knowledge being used. We also see these three agents, these three things used by God. If you look with me in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, we see in these verses, we're going to look at how God built, how he made, how he created everything around us. And it's very similar to the way he's called us to build our houses in verse 19 of chapter 3 of Proverbs. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. And by his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down with dew. Do you see God uses wisdom to establish and found the heavens? He uses understanding 
um, sorry, to, to establish the heavens and then this knowledge to create a setting in which the world can be fed and cared for and filled in a way. And the same thing he calls us to do. We see God as he in his creative work back in Genesis 1 we can read too. We see that God stepped into chaos and he created. He, he brought order to the chaos and the, the agents, the things that he used, if you will, he employed were wisdom and understanding and knowledge to bring order to the chaos of creation. And he ordered it and he set it in motion. And he said, this is good. And in the same way as those who bear the image of God, by his provision, by what he has provided for us, he's called us to do the exact same thing. He's called us to step into our households, into our homes and into our lives as he gives us wisdom and understanding and knowledge to bring order to the chaos of our lives. I mean, chaos is not too strong of a word to use, is it not? As you look at your lives, as I look at my life, it is constantly moving out of control or one direction or the other. If I were to let go of the wheel, who knows where it would go? And we're constantly wrestling with this reality of the, the, the movement. You're always, it seems like we're dealing with relationship tension, marriage, or with our kids, or with coworkers. We're always working. We're always trying to bring this kind of order to make our life work and to make something meaningful out of it. And yet it's, a, it's, it's effort. And why that's so difficult? Why is it so difficult to bring order to the chaos of our lives? A couple of things. We know this. First is that we live in a fallen world. We, we live as broken people, fallen people, with fallen people, trying to, trying to make this work. The bottom line is we can't do it on our own. But the, the, the second aspect of, of why it's so difficult is that even if we really knew what it's supposed to look like, even if we really knew what our lives are supposed to look like, we would have no idea how to get there. Even if we did have a picture of saying, I want my life to look like this, that worked, we wouldn't know how to get there, how to make that, to bring that about. And what we end up doing is we, look, we end up looking around at everybody else and figure out, how are you doing this? What's your life look like? What do you do? What are you filling your time with? What are you buying? What are you filling your household with? And we look around at everybody else, but the problem is nobody else has any clue either about how to build their lives or what to fill them with. And so here we sit, sharing our ignorance looking around in our culture to say, we need someone else to say, here it is. And so God says, I want to provide this wisdom because we are incapable in and of ourselves of building anything that has any meaning or value at all. And in the end, who knows what our houses might look like. So wisdom here in verse, back to 24, wisdom leads us. It, over, it oversees the building process. By wisdom, a house is built. We are in a process. We are living in houses that are under construction. Our own individual lives, our own homes, our households are under construction that God is, is doing and work in our lives. Wisdom means masterful understanding. Masterful, skillful understanding and living life. But this wisdom is rooted in living in accordance with the way God sees things. Living in accordance with God's laws. Wisdom is, which makes sense, living in light of what's really true. Living in a world in which we live in a way that God sees it the same way. If reality is the way God sees the world, no matter who else might have a, a perspective on it, the way he sees it. And so wisdom calls us to live in accordance with the way he sees things, submitting constantly our desires, our perspectives, and our will to his. If you will, 
to use the analogy of the house again, it's submitting to his blueprint. It's submitting to what God has said, this is what I want the house to look like. This is what I want your life to look like. So to submit to him in that way and not to try to draw up our own idea. But say, okay, I think God knows what he's doing here. I mean, can you imagine being on a work site? Some of you are maybe in the construction industry and you got the blueprint. I can imagine what it's like. But I got the blueprint in front of me. It says that uh, we should put four footings down, footings under this house. And the guys say, you know, I think footings are overrated. I don't think we really need them. Let's just go ahead and start with the walls and the, the, found, the, walls and the, and the floor. I don't think we really need this. Or, I mean, you could go on and on about the analogy, couldn't you? I don't think we need, you know, two by 12 headers or whatever. You could go on and on. I don't think we really need this. That would be foolish because they wouldn't have an idea of what they're doing. And the architect's the one that drew it up. He knew what it needed and he put in place there. And so in our own foolishness, oftentimes we go, I don't think this architect really knows what he's doing. I don't think he really knows. Did he really mean to put that there? And so wisdom says, I'm going to submit to him. I'm going to submit to what he says life should look like. And submitting and building our lives according to his blueprint leads to life. It leads to a life living under submission of him. That's what life is. Might not be a perfect house. Might not be a very pretty house. Not be, might not be a very big one, but it, it is life. And it's promised as we live according to what he has called. At the same time, to live and to build our house according to our own specifications, according to our own blueprint, leads to destruction, leads to death. And you see that in the end, what you have left over oftentimes is a house that had no or very little resemblance to what the designer intended. And so wisdom leads us down a road to build our houses in accordance with what God says is true and right. The application of this is huge. Um, Pervasively through our lives, how we live and our relationships, how we live sexually, how we live ethically, how we live in relationship with our family and parenting and our jobs. You can go on and on and on to realize, no, this is what God has said, the way that we should live. And wisdom says, I'm going to submit to him. and I'm going to learn the art of living under his design, under his blueprints. So the the author says, by wisdom, this whole process is built by submitting to his blueprint. Then the second line, which parallels and then extends this idea, by understanding it is established. Understanding, um, we see here, is the wise use of knowledge. It's the wise use of information. And what that does is it brings about a stability in our homes. It brings about a makes firm or secure in the building process. If you will, it's a God-given interpretation of what the data means. Okay? I make observations, I see my life. Understanding helps me truly know the meaning of the data. It helps me know the meaning of what I am seeing. Let me give you an illustration real quick. It also leads me to do what I ought to do. So understanding helps me to see and observe and make right observation, right interpretation. And then it leads me to do what I ought to do. There's an ethical aspect of it. I need to do something about this now. And here's, an, here's my example. When we moved into our house a couple years ago, uh, the dirt on one side of our house the, near the foundation walls were settling back towards the house. Okay, And so much so that the, um, the air conditioner was about like that. It sat at that angle, pitched back towards our house. Now, you know, I'm not this, I don't know a whole lot, but when I would walk out there when it would rain, 
guess where all the water was? <laughs> Settling right there at the foundation walls of our house. We would have these little pools right there. And so that's the observation. Interpretation is, what does this mean? There's water settling around the foundation walls. What's this going to mean over the course of time? You know, I had friends and even my own observation, I could tell, I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think leaving that water there, making, allowing this, I think something needs to be done. And then comes the point of application. What will you do about this? You make an observation, you go, I don't think, in the interpretation, I don't think it's a good thing. I think we need to do something about it. Well, understanding leads one to actually do something about what they've observed. In that situation, I had to bring in a bunch of dirt and da-da-da-da, and, and it's still, we still fight against that, kind of some settling going on. But it, if I didn't understand, I wouldn't have done anything. But understanding, in a biblical sense, cannot, will, will, not, will keep me, understanding will empower me to do what I need to do. It will cause me to act. And if I don't do anything, it only proves that I don't understand. And so in this case, we see that responding rightly to the circumstances they come with God's information, his interpretation, if you will, of the, of the information of our lives to go, I think I need to do something here. As we evaluate the building process and we go, this wall isn't straight or this doesn't seem right. I, I don't think this is good. And as we look at our own lives, there's a variety of things that if left going the directions Apart from being checked, we find that in the end, it, it destabilizes our home. And again, there's a whole slew of different areas that can take us down that road of finances and spending, the way we deal with our finances. Unhealthy relationships, their wife, relationships outside of our marriage that are unhealthy. Excesses in different aspects of our lives, of work, alcohol, food, activities that were excessively. These things, and you look and understanding, we see over the course of time, I, I'm afraid this might take me down a road that will destabilize my home in the end, cause it to crash. And so understanding says, I'm going to look at this, and God says, let's do something about this. And then wisdom is, is employed in that process. So we understand that um, wisdom is living according to God's blueprint. And then understanding, which is the wise use of the information we have, actually leads us to do something. It leads us to act. Not just sitting. I mean, there's a, there's a time for praying about it, but it leads us to move and to act in the situation and ask God to, to bring help or correction in our lives. And he's promised that he will do that. And with that, we see that there's a, a stable home that's established. And then in verse 4, we see that by knowledge, the rooms are filled with precious and pleasant riches. Now we go to the interior of the home and we see the different rooms now are filled with different kinds of things. This idea of knowledge is really the building blocks of wisdom. Um, it's really the how-tos of life. I had no idea what was involved in buying a couch for our living room and the wisdom that's involved in that. In fact, we haven't for quite some time now, we're, but we're looking and, and the colors and no, this has to match this and that. There's, there's a great deal of knowledge and skill in filling that room in a particular kind of aesthetically pleasing way that my wife would really like and I can't help her a whole lot with. You just nod the old head and say, yes. But there's a skill and knowledge is the building blocks to filling that room in a meaningful kind of way. And so it's the building blocks to filling our lives in a meaningful way. It really leads us down of the road of how we make decisions on a day-in and day-out basis. The practical knowledge on a daily basis to make good decisions. Employing wisdom and employing understanding 
as we make decisions about what we fill our lives with, how we use in our days, what are we spending our money on, what are we purchasing, and those kinds of things, just the filling of our lives with those things. To be able to fill our homes with things of value is really what we want, and that's what this is getting at. It says that knowledge, by knowledge, through the means of knowledge, the rooms are filled with precious and pleasant riches. It says those two terms there, precious really is getting at uh, the quality of something, something that has an enduring quality that will last. It's valuable because it will endure, and the idea there of pleasant um, is really getting at the beauty of it, the beauty that's both external as well as internal in, in the things that we would fill our lives with. And I don't think, I, I don't believe that this riches part is a, any kind of implicit com, um, guarantee that we'll become rich. I think it just says there are things so much more valuable than any money you could ever have or anything you could ever own. And that's what we want to fill our lives with. The best way, I think, as we read through Scripture to do that is really to, under, to, to take that question, that vantage point of, of at the end of our lives, ask the question, what do we want to have acquired? What do we want to have, be able to say that I have this, I've invested, I've spent my life, my money, my time in this? What do we want to say that we can display we stand before God to say, this is what I invested or spent my life on. This is what I have to show for the days that you gave me. And as we ask that question, we find that, uh, that we realize that um, we live for a lot of things that don't really matter. That's the challenge to us. But knowledge calls us to live in this way, to fill our lives with things that do matter. A few questions for you and for me. I've had to work through this um, this week and, and, uh, and think through some of these things in my own life, but what kind of marriage do you want if you're married? If you're not married and you hope to be married, what kind of marriage do you hope to have? Because the decisions you make now will, will impact that. 50 years from now, what kind of marriage do you hope? What, what will be there? Some of you have 50 years. Um, what kind of parents do you want to be? What kind of relationships do we want to have with our kids when they graduate and move from home, assuming they move from home? <laughs> what kind of children do we want to be to our parents? This is a new area that I'm entering and some of us are entering. How will we love and respect and honor our parents? If, um, as well as our friendships, what kind of friendships do we hope to have down the line? Men and women in our lives who can encourage us and holds accountable that, that we can talk with over the course of our lifetime about anything. Those have to be cultivated as well. Um, have those friendships that will, 20 years down the road, will, that man, that woman that's in your life that will be there. But if someone were to look in our lives and, and they were to see how they were filled and how they were ordered and what do you have in your house, what would they find of value? What, what would be there? How would you those rooms be displayed and what kind of things value do you attribute to the different aspects of your life? I can't answer that for you, but for me, there's a few things that, that struck me. Um, I don't think these are all bad, but the, you see the bad, the, the, the good things that can become not so good. You might see in my own life a, an interest in Chiefs football or KU basketball over and above a desire and spend time with my family in a meaningful kind of way. Uh, maybe get out of the way, <laughs> miss the, the play or something. Uh, uh, accumulation of treasures on earth more than storing up treasures in heaven. 
a desire to, to do that, to go, oh, what's really valuable and where do I want to invest my time and my days? Or for me, the most indicting perhaps is a desire for comfort and ease more than a passion for God. To make my life nice and easy and, and maybe unwilling to go where God might lead. So knowledge enables us to fill our lives with things of real value, to see and to understand to act because left to our own devices, left to myself, I know that I'll fill my life with nothing but worthless things. Wisdom is submitting to God's blueprint. It leads to a life of submission to his will and trust in him. Understanding is a right, it's a, it's a right knowledge or wise use of the knowledge that we have. It establishes life. It provides a security and it moves me to do what I ought to do. Knowledge then enables me to employ wisdom and understanding in such a way that I can make decisions about what I'm filling my days with, what am I using my time and my resources for. When um, I was building, when I built that Christmas tree stand 14 years ago, I was certain that this would work, that my design would find its way into reality, that my concept would be sure, and that when I put the Christmas tree stand in, it, it would stand up, it wouldn't fall over. However, my idea was proven false. And what seemed to be right was proven to be wrong, was proven to be unfounded in reality. Proverbs 14.12 says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. That there's a way of living that seems right, that has every earmark from my vantage point of being the right way to go, the right way to build, and yet in the end, it leads down a road that takes us, takes me to death. And that unnerves me as a truth because I've seen it in my own life. I've seen the bitter truth of, of making those decisions that seemed so right at the time. And then only to find after the fact, you go, that was stupid. And we've seen the impact on the lives of those who have lived over the course of years and years and years that way. Requires us to submit to God's wisdom because we are incapable of building, establishing, or filling our lives in any kind of meaningful way apart from his wisdom, apart from his understanding, apart from his knowledge that he will give to us. Colossians 2, real quick. Conclude with this. Colossians 2, 1 through 4. I think the beauty of the Old Testament is to look at it as New Covenant, New Testament Christians with the eyes and to see Christ there in a type, in a, in a way. And, and 2, 1 through 4, just of Colossians, just helps us see now as we talk about wisdom, understanding, and knowledge through this vantage point. Verses 1 of chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those of Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We see that in Christ we have everything we need, the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that we need to to build our lives. And even the more beautiful thing, if you will, We find that it's not even us doing the building. We find that we've got a master builder at work in and through us by his spirit. And so we can trust in him, follow his blueprint, 
and know that as he builds and he uses these things, he's promised to give us the wisdom and understanding and knowledge we need to establish our homes. Let's pray. Father, um, how good it is uh, to be reminded of the truth that you are the architect. You're the one that, that put the whole of creation into place and and then you've called us to, to live and to put in place lives and homes that would bring, bring glory to you. And we are incapable on our own, but thank you that you've promised to provide for us. You say that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him come, and that you've promised to give it to us. And so we ask for that wisdom. We ask for the understanding that we might make right decisions and do what we ought to do by your Spirit, and then that through your knowledge on a day-to-day basis, we would fill our lives and our homes and our families and our neighborhoods with things that are valuable so that when we stand before you, we can say, here's what you did, and it's to your glory. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would ask you to, to rise from the benediction. Um, the response to the benediction is, uh, Christ is our only foundation. Hallelujah. And when we say that Christ is our only foundation, we understand that, that He is the one that we build our, our salvation, that our that he is the only one that can save us spiritually. At the same time, as he saved us spiritually, so in our lives, he, we want, he wants us to build our homes on him. And he'll empower us to do that. So receive this now as God's benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And God's people said... Christ is our only foundation. Hallelujah.